Welcome to Mad Science Films. I'm Jimmy P, filmmaker and sexual astronaut. First up, please, guys, check out our fourth feature film for free over on YouTube. Just search for Little Monster or click on the link in the show notes below. This episode, I'm joined by a very special guest and returning champion from last year, Mr. Jonathan Zoran. We had a really, really good chat 14 months ago. It, it's absolutely mad to think it was that long ago. It doesn't seem yeah. that long ago. Um, and that was just after you'd completed your first feature film. You'd screened it, and I think uh, I rewatched the episodes again just to remind myself where we were in the timeline. You had just bit, had it picked up by a distributor slash sales agent. Now you're also in pre-production uh, and fundraising for your new feature film, Derelict. So how has this experience of distribution influenced your plans overall for Derelict? The first is we wanted to do crowdfunding because we felt that we could we could then be in a position where we don't have to worry necessarily about making a huge profit mm. on the distribution of this film. So that means we would be free at the end to experiment, see how the markets work, see if we can make some money, see if we can't make some money, see what we can do better. You always have to, to go in this experimenting a little bit, trying things out, figure out how it works. Because although I say where well, we can cut the middleman, I've seen how, what they do but I've not seen it inside. So I want to go inside, see how it works, see if I see if we can do what they do. I, mean, I don't think we can, but you have to Again, I, I think it helps with your experience of working with labels like Arrow yeah. and and knowing the the mechanisms yeah. that are there and the processes in place. That gives you a head start over a lot of other filmmakers. So absolutely, yeah, I don't think there's anything that a distributor would be looking for that you yourself wouldn't be able to provide directly when when you especially when you're an indie you always call a lot of favors you have to and you don't want to run out of favors and the one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to run out of favors with investors mm. right because then you end up in a situation when you're like well that's the third time that i didn't make you any money at some point they're going to say now nah, you know what mate we love you. We love your film. We're proud of it, but uh, yeah, no not this time. Carry on not doing that, right? Yeah. So, well, you solve that in your mind. You go, okay. Well, if we do a crowdfunding, we can offer people something in return for their money, without mm. the pressure of having to make a return for them. You can still make a return for your higher end investors, but it's not, it's not a huge pressure. So you can experiment with with uh, distribution. You can experiment with with all this, and also you can afford to. That's going to sound weird, but you can afford to not think about your film too commercially. You yes. go, well, you know what? I'll do exactly the film I want to make. So that's kind of why we decided to do it. Um, and the other thing is that we we wanted to step away from horror. Or what I mentioned earlier, no, again, no offense to individuals, but I think any any major, any huge size culture ends up being dubious to me. I'm like, uh, you know, I don't know. I, 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 you know, I, I always considered myself kind of like a 
late punk you know my dad was my dad was punk and it's it's kind of like my part of my identity is like that i don't like belonging in groups and being part of like mobs mob uh, mentality and all that stuff so that, i guess that's where my problem is mm. fan culture comes in as well mm. it's kind of like i have a problem with anything that becomes like a a group mentality i think individuality is the way to go individuality solves most problems because you don't have to agree with anything you can agree with ideas you can you don't have to look look at politics these days you know part of it is it's run like like football like yeah. the Tories can do anything they want people will still vote conservative because it's their team and it's like well they've run the country into the ground oh well yeah but i always voted tory well there you go for you. Yeah. but i, I think i think i i, I agree with you team. in terms of like especially horror fandom right it's the most passionate and that's a plus and that's also a negative yeah you know if you're the most passionate then you know if that you're can be lucky, great. If you're lucky enough to be to be to be the chosen one in uh, in horror fandom, they will cheer for you forever. Mm. But if you're like Rob Zombie, <laughs> I'm not sure what he thinks about horror fandom. Mm. I'm pretty sure he questions his own fandom at this stage because he's like, oh, hang on a minute, you know. And I'm not saying I like Rob Zombie's films, by the way. <laughs> Yeah. But it's just like it's just, I just don't know why people have to be so vocal about shit they hate. Like, yeah. how about championing stuff you love? I thought that that's what fandom was, and I don't see that anymore. So, what we found with Wyvern Hill is that a lot of the people that loved it, there was a lot of horror fans that loved it, but a lot of the people that loved it were more like of the art house kind of crowd, and that's more not cinema, cinema in, in general. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not incompatible. Yeah. You can love art, films, and horror, which is my case, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, and a lot of people I know love it. It's not, and I guess that's what annoys me with, with. Again, please don't take this personally. Anybody, I'm not talking about individuals. I'm talking about systems, right? I guess that's what annoys me with fandom of any kind is that it it kind of restricts itself to to being one thing and i'm like well no you know i like to pick ideas from everywhere i like to pick things from yeah which you can see in wyvern hill wyvern hill is like a, a mix of weird weird things from all over the place and mm -hmm. that's what i like that, that even politically and yeah. morally and all that i like to pick things but from everywhere what's really sad though is you know, horror fans should know better because you look at, you know, some of the films that we've talked about, you know, the horror classics like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, that pulls on documentary style filmmaking. So, you know, the filmmakers that they hold up on the pedestal, Wes Craven, George Romero, all of this, they pulled from yeah. all these other genres. They were fans of all these other genres. Uh, you know, Tony Hooper. But, but this is the other thing is I, I, I think fandom has that tendency as well. Again, not the individuals. Let's agree. You know, I, I'm I'm ready to take some shit for this, but fandom has a tendency to not understand the things that they're fans of. It's very strange, but it's true. Mm. You know, when you read shit about Lucha Fulci, or oh, the, the the king of gore and all that, you go, well, yeah. Also, that's not really what Fulci was. Fulci was a surrealist, you know, and you never hear, you never really hear that from from fandom. You know, same for Wes Craven. There's that that kind of raw realism, you know, 
and uh, John Carpenter with his kind of classicism. That's not the thing that fandom talks about. Fandom knows every detail of everything, but then yeah. it, it tends to to not understand. Which is why I love again working on 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 you know those those video essays and stuff like that. You get it's the opposite. You get people who, who attempt to decipher things, understand things, understand where they're coming from, understand the context, understand all of that. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not I'm not trashing horror fans. Love individuals, don't love groups. That's just me. That's my kind of anarchist mind. Not a problem. I have no problem with anyone in particular. Um, sure. but we decided to step away from horror to go into something mm. different with with derelict. Um, is there a genre you can pin derelict to then? Honestly, it's kind of a tricky thing. It's kind of the closest thing that it would be is film noir. Like a neo. I was getting yeah, crime revenge vibes from the trailers, but you know, definitely. Just but it's it. uh, it's kind of a, I worked the screenplay the first the first few drafts anyway, and then Michael McKenzie uh, rewrote recently, and now Catalinger mm. is actually on the the last few drafts. And the thing that we always discussed is that I never wanted it to slip entirely into genre, mm. and it, you know you do it yourself. You're writing. And you have a scene and you go, oh, wouldn't that be cool if that if she was like, oh, I'm a badass. And you go, yeah, but let's go away from this mentality and try and do something else. Not because yeah. I don't love genre. I love genre. I work with all those genre labels. Come on. Yeah. I absolutely adore genre. It's something. Yeah. But because I feel like this, this is, you have to always try and do something new you have to try and motivate yourself to do something exciting and for me what was exciting was to play with that kind of film it's very violent it's very violent film noir but i wanted to play with the idea of revenge in that not only i wanted to to split the loyalties of the audience okay who who were they rooting for yeah yeah but I also wanted the revenge itself to be. I don't know how to put this without spoiling, but yeah, <laughs> to be kind of almost a pathetic attempt at revenge. Mm. It's not quite because it's very sad, so it's yeah. not it's not funny, but it's kind of unfinished and and lame. Yeah. Definitely got those vibes from the trailer, which you know we'll stick uh, links down there in the show notes. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think in terms of selling the concept of the film, the trailer you've already put together is is spot on. What what we really wanted from that trailer is we wanted to introduce the characters, mm-hmm. and and just through a few images, but mm-hmm. it had to, it would have to be images that would make get you guessing, but give you enough that you'd go, oh, oh, I think, I think I get what this, mm, yeah. I think I yeah. get it. And um, I think the way you did it very well in the trailer is when you introduce either a new character or an existing character in a relationship you hadn't pictured them in before. And the way you've done it is very artful, man. Very yeah, thank artful. Thank you. I can't wait. No, you. I we, actually, can't wait. we actually wrote a script especially for the trailer and Short also also it was it was the the case that we were like four weeks before the 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 crowdfunding and we were like i think we need more more material what what should we do and i was like we should do a trailer but the problem is then you have 
you have people that come from Manchester, from London, from uh, the South Coast, and you're like, okay, well, how do I get all these people within three weeks? And how do we shoot this within three weeks? Because usually you don't you don't shoot a trailer, you just take bits from your film, right? Yeah. So like, I need to write a trailer, I need to write it. And we wrote it, and then you get people that turn up on a four, four hours train journey, and they shoot for 10 minutes, and you put them back on the train. You know? <laughs> it's like... And I'm I'm forever grateful to these people for stepping up like this, you know, yeah. uh, Nick yeah. and uh, Suzanne and Dean and um, even Pete and Mike, even though they're local. Yeah. yeah. You know, you take their time and you go, okay, well, you know, we need to to do this. And uh, it was it was very strange waiting for for the sunset to hit just the right spot to just do that one shot. That yeah. is a standout shot, man, an absolute standout shot. And uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's one of those ones I did play a couple of times, like. Hello. Did he do that? But I think I've got a pack me. Yeah, to have the movement so that it it's essentially as it passes the the shoulder, that's where the transition like white. between black and yeah. white is. So you mentioned uh you've got a couple of co-writers this time around. So um where did where did the idea or, originate? Was that with you and then you collaborated with Michael and yeah. with Kat further on down so the I, line? I it's it's inspired, I say I say that very carefully because it's it's inspired by a true crime right okay okay inspired it's not the true crime it's a starting it, point it, for... the, the crime it was something in my life that i uh that happened in my in my hometown uh in france and i was somehow very close to it um in some very weird links um which i can't really go into but I got very close to it and it, it, it was a while ago. It was even before I moved to the UK. So it must have been like 18, 19 years ago, but it never, it never left. I, I was, yeah. I was kind of appalled by it. And uh, I thought it would make a very good, great starting point for a story. And I've been playing with it for, I don't know, maybe five years, trying to find the right tone, trying to find the right way of doing it. Um, and the, the, the actual crime is two, two guys who, basically murdered tortured and murdered some 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 poor old guy for his money and it didn't, it didn't have any and it was um i think the worst thing about it is the amount of times where the plan did go wrong and they could have stopped and they then they carried on yeah that to me was always the thing that was very important and i, I always wondered how it worked and so part of the story is that you follow you follow them uh, before the act. You see their relationship, the two the two brothers, and and then you see the act. But that's that's kind of played along with the present days where you follow the daughter of the guy who's who's been murdered, her life and her desire for revenge. But strong desire that's getting stronger by the events that are happening, and eventually she decides to actually take a step in that direction. Mm -hmm. um, but so the way that we worked that is that I I did I did a draft. I did uh, when I say a draft, I mean fifteen. <laughs> and then I I contacted Michael McKenzie, who's an absolutely amazing writer. If you've never read Michael's novels, mm. they are absolutely fantastic. He's got such a an eye for detail for plotting. For the way that stories work in the in that you know in the way that the cogs fit together and then everything 
comes into place in the right moment and he hits those right emotional keys and and those right emotional points and i contacted him and i said you know michael i i i really and obviously i have a working relationship with him at arrow is mm. my is my main my main guy essentially at arrow so yeah. or i should say i'm his main guy really but anyway um and he said yeah yeah i'm, I'm very busy but I, you know i take a look and uh so i sent him the script and he, he was like well it's mostly positive for me i have some notes but it's mostly positive so we discussed his notes they were mostly about, I don't know how to put this, big details. I don't know if that makes sense. Like, there, are, like there, are, there are things that... Do you mean structural? Yeah, I don't know if it's structural, but it's like... Uh, it's a, a, a big example was that there was a scene where the two brothers are in the car and they're about to go in this house to... to, to, to essentially, the plan is that they're going to drug this guy, get his PIN number, get his money, get out. He'll wake up in the morning, he won't even remember. But the way that I the way that I painted the the victim Ben is that he was very middle class, like classical music, big house, all that stuff. And for me, that that was fine. I didn't feel the need to question it. But Michael looked at it and he went, "Now I have a problem with that." And I said, "Well, what do you mean?" He said, "Well, I don't know in what world these two would actually know each other and would accept it and be like, yeah, this is a perfectly natural relationship for them to go in his house and they have a drink and whatever.'" I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So we started thinking about that. And so we we he he rewrote the character of, of Ben as as someone who's much more of a self-made man, working class mm-hmm. guy. So he would he would know people like 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 his his tormentor essentially. Mm-hmm. And that made sense. So that was one example. We he rewrote some characters that he felt, you know, were repetitive or um so now we have this kind of like very well-rounded screenplay with some really good dialogue, some really good characters. In fact, one of the characters so good, it's called Uncle Henry. One of the characters so good, we've now decided that uh, if we can reach our target with our crowdfunding, we're also going to do a short film around this character to go with the feature. Right. right. He's, he's just, is is that really, everyone that's read the script was like, oh, Uncle Henry... That's a fucking amazing character. I want to know more about Uncle Henry. So we're like, well, okay, but the problem is then you throw your script out of balance because you 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 kind of distract from you already have kind of you have a script that's split in two in terms of who the leading role is. So you've got Mike and you've got uh Suzanne, and both of them could be classed as leading roles. They will have their own story, they have their own timeline. Their path only crosses crosses at the end, but the 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 destiny is on a collision course essentially yeah and so if you start throwing other characters in that mix that don't have to do with the direct story of these people then you end up with something that kind of ends up feeling out of balance so what we'll do is we're doing an entire short film around uncle henry that that is a compliment but also its own thing as part of uh, the thing but anyway so you know, he, he rewrote all these things, um, and it's beautiful. It's really good. Um, one of our main investors, whose name I promised not to mention, um, he got on board because we were going to do the Sunset Dogs, and um, he loved the Sunset Dogs. It was that mm. kind of samurai movie? Lots of 
actually. Yeah, I think I think I think you and I have talked about Sunset Dogs. So just explain Sunset Dogs. So the Sunset Dogs was a project we had before Derelict, where we it was like a post-apocalyptic samurai movie set uh, in a in a dystopian society where where women were used as a means to reproduction because because people were sterile and so they were always looking for the the mother of the world essentially. It was going to be too expensive. Right. Yeah. And what we were banking on is we were banking on on the success of Wyvern Hill, which we had in a way, mm-hmm. because the rug was pulled from under our feet. We're like, well, there's no way we can justify spending a hundred thousand pounds on on that, right? Mm. And a hundred thousand pounds, by the way, for people who don't know, that's nothing to make a film, especially not this type of film. Mm. So we kind of put it aside. But this this guy, this particular guy, really loved that script. And he'd already pledged some money. But when I sent him derelict and I said, look, I I don't think the Sunset Dog is going to happen, but derelict is, you know, it's probably our best option. It's much cheaper. It's, it's kind of a drama. It's You don't have to fuck about with CG and shit like that. Um, and he read it and he said, that's, that's way too bleak for me. I'm See, now, you, now I, you're really selling it, man. Now I really so bleak. Uh, oh, yeah, because I haven't gone into that yet. But um, And so the point I was going to make about Michael, mm. and actually, Michael, when I sent him the script, the script, he, he read 30 pages and he was like, I said, Michael, it's a bit bleak. You know, and he said, bleak? He said, I would actually call it relentlessly grim. <laughs> that was what Michael McKenzie said. That was his words. Post the quote. Relentlessly grim, yeah. And it is, it is. It's it's you know, it's about people that are empty, unhappy, um following a crash course that's kind of unavoidable and on their way to to self-destruction and um, you know, and it's about drugs and abuse and, and violence and, and the murder scene is is just so brutal and violent. No, not necessarily in a gore way, but in a kind of oh, this is cold and 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 it's a harsh story. It's a very yeah. harsh story. Yeah. But so with the whole rewriting that Michael did, I I I managed to get this guy back on board. And when he read the script, he said, "Yeah, that feels." It's still a very harsh story, but it feels very very rounded now. Um, it is a harsh story, and to yeah. go into that, yes, it's very it's a very bleak film. I guess in a way that's that's the horror part that's left. Like it's not a horror film by traditional standards, but it goes into some horrific. Yeah. So tonally, it's going yeah, into the, it is the horror realm. Yeah. I can promise yeah. that it's not going to be gory. There's not going to yeah. be a lot of action, but it is bleak as it gets. Um, yeah, depressingly so. And with the, I'm that. I'm hoping that the black and white will soften that impact a little bit as well. You know, ah, so, so it might make it. It might make it worse in a way. I was, I I, I was going to say I noticed from the trailer. Is it going to be partially black and white, partially color, all black and white? What's excellent question. So it's fifty fifty. Essentially, the way that the story is articulated, we worked it in the script so that it's five chapters. Mm. Chapter one is Abigail. Chapter two is Matt and Ewan. Chapter three is the the plan. Chapter four is the crime. Chapter five is the wrath. And so the things that happen in each chapter, the things that happen to Abigail, kind of are mirrored in what happens with uh, Matt and Ewan all the way through 
to that middle point. And what happens is you have Abigail who's in black and white because the color has been sucked out of her life. Matt and Ewan are in color. But as they kill her father, the color gets drained out of the film on their own story. Mm. So then by the time you get back in the present and it's about Matt and Abigail, they're both in black and white. But as she as she goes closer to, to her revenge and she discovers what she actually needs isn't exactly what she wants, the color comes back into her life in a sense. Interesting. It feels like I don't know if if you're aware of it. I I I haven't seen it myself, but there was a cut of Sympathy for Lady Vengeance. That's the one, yes, where it slowly, yeah, yeah. slowly drains. So Beautiful. was that was that the, the inspiration? That was definitely yeah. an inspiration. How did Kat get involved in what yes. state? Okay, yeah, sorry. Why, why were you bringing her, her in? Yeah. Uh, so Kat, what I was keen for, I, Kat is, is an astonishing writer. I've edited so many of her essays, and it's always, and I have, I have the pretension, I don't know if it's pretension, I have the pretension of being fairly knowledgeable about film. I've seen quite a lot of stuff, you know. Um, I always learn something editing Kat's essay you know and you don't have to agree with her by the way a lot of people don't but but it's 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 always a very intelligent coherent thought process that you can follow and and that to me that's good writing I don't care that someone can write a, a beautiful line of dialogue that's not good writing you know what good writing is is when you when when you can get involved in a story and you don't see the cogs but they are turning and you don't pay any attention and it's taking you logically slowly pure storytelling right yeah Yeah. and cat has that in her essays Mm. when you watch one of her essays she starts one way she goes into the context and by the time you reach the end you don't have to agree with her but you can't deny that it makes absolute sense yeah Yeah. and i love that um so that was the first thing i thought okay and michael i knew had an eye for plot and he had an eye for detail and for structure But the other thing about Cat is that it is a film about 60% of the film is about a female character. Mm. Now, as a male writer, both me and Michael, we can try our best, and Michael's Mm. probably even better than I am. But you can try your best, but you're not you're not a woman. At the end of the day, that's that's just a fact. And what I was keen for Cat is for her to bring that expertise in storytelling and logic and and how to develop this this storytelling but also bring a different voice Mm. yeah you know because all of a sudden you get someone that the other thing is she knows about the meaning of films like she that's literally her job she deciphers films all the time and what i was keen for is that we didn't make a film that unwillingly said something we didn't want to say Mm. and so with all her qualities with all her talents with all her feminist views as well, I wanted her to bring all of that to the table, write a little, write a little bit, see if she had some ideas for scenes, see if she had some ideas for the character to make her to make her real. Because, like I said, we tried as much as possible. Again, no, no insult to genre films. I'm absolutely a huge fan of genre films. We tried as much as possible for it not to be a pure genre film. We wanted characters that could feel real. Yeah, yeah, kind of like if Shen Meadows made, uh, you know, a revenge thriller in a way, which he I mean, did. He, can't, 
He kind of did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Again, but, one of but, his best films. One of one of his best films. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. But the reason the reason I kind of took Dead Man's Shoes out is because I meant it in a in a traditional film noir way. If if Shane yeah. Meadows made a kind of a traditional film noir neo noir, yeah. that would be. Whereas he went, he went. Yeah. Fuck it. I'll take the codes of this revenge thing and I'll just do a, 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 a social social realism film. Exactly. Yeah. He 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 didn't he didn't borrow like the the stylistic traits of, of that no. genre. No, no. no. He did it in his very own Shane Meadows style. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, another fantastic. huge influence for me is Lion. Obviously, Maciej Kasowicz Lion. I absolutely adore this movie. And I, I um, I, I was reading a thing recently where where there was a thing because uh, Romain Gavras made that uh, Athena movie for Netflix, and uh, largely wrote produced it or wrote parts of it and all that. And they were talking that these guys were the children of Lyon. You know, we all grew up on Lyon in France. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, actually, come to think of it, I, I stopped counting how many times I've seen Lyon. And for me, it was important that these some of these characters felt real and that they felt working class and that they felt that they came from a place of someone who knows. So I'm working class, I know, but I'm not British working class. Right, so my yeah. experience is French working class. And mm. there are there are cultural differences, whether we want it or not. Yeah. And I was keen for someone else to look at this and go, as someone who's like British working class. I think this would be more like this. This would be more like this. As someone who's a woman, I think this character would say would say it that way, or she would behave that way instead. I think it's you know you can't. While I agree that writers, it's the writer's uh, duty and and job to put themselves in other people's mind, I think you can do if you're really talented and you're great and all that. Lots of people do. I mean, you've got some superb writers that write female characters or. or uh, black characters or gay characters or whatever people that have different experiences from them and they can write them but i don't think you can trump authenticity like yeah. there is never a point where you can you can advocate against it and that's what that's what i was keen about yeah no, absolutely and, and to be honest man that sounds really exciting in terms of the way you're working with each of them yeah. and their skill sets that you, you, you've identified but through you then as the filmmaker so again yeah if nothing else making me even more excited for the project dude can't wait can't wait uh, it's, it's honestly i i'm you know i'm so excited to be doing it i think it's going to be a it's going to be such an interesting thing you know like i said that that shane meadows thing i love shane meadows mm. really i do but i think that i'm uh anton anton bittle called me a mannerist the other day and i'm like yeah actually that would be that would be how i would define myself because i love the mannerism of cinema and the stylistic aspect of cinema and so if you take that social realism that we're after and and the kind of raw aspect of the story and and as you've seen in the trailer and then i bring my style to that i think we we could potentially create something that that isn't really done Mm. at the moment anyway you know i mean again perhaps i'm speaking out of ignorance more than anything else but i feel like with horror because it, you know often horror will play with paranormal elements or yeah. psychological elements there's more scope to be more experimental from yeah. a stylistic point of view 
Whereas if you're looking more, say, towards the crime or rape, revenge, or you know those kind of genres, let's just bracket it all under crime genres. Mm-hmm. There's often less opportunity and less times that it's done. That's not to say it hasn't been yeah, done. No, no. I mean, there's some mental crazy '70s Japanese stuff I absolutely love, which is completely fucking gonzo. Yeah, but I absolutely think you're right. I think, especially here today, where we are, you're not seeing that level of experimentation or stylistic pushing at the boundaries. Um, and I definitely got that from the the concept trailer. Well, that's so, yeah, that's so, yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I. I don't have the pretension of being a revolutionary, you know, a visionary director or anything like that. But I do. Um, I think it's to do with with. I mean, if you look at the history of cinema, I don't think there's much that we can do that hasn't been done, really. You know, if you want to look at it that way. But what you can do is you can mix and match. Now you can, you can kind of take ideas here and ideas there, and a stylistic choice here, and and place it with something there, and eventually you find a recipe that that's. That's kind of uh, wouldn't say entirely new, but that's kind of unique. Yeah, right? that yeah. unique kind of flavor. And again, what you've got to think about is the audience. You know, it might be new to them. In which case, you know, your film's now going to be the gateway drug to all these other fantastic you know, films. Yeah, that I'd love that. Before, I'd but love you know, that. yeah, 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 absolutely. And 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 you know, you, you, I think obviously you get one of the things that's 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 interesting is to try and go against the times. You know, because uh, not because you don't like the times, what you're saying, but because when when you live in the times, you you necessarily get fifty films that all look the same in one particular genre, fifty films, fifty horror films that have all have the same gem scare from that from that year, and um, and if you if you kind of go well, well, actually, I'm going to do it in a way that people are telling me not to do it. So black and white's a big deal, for example. People go, oh, yeah. black and white, which is true. Look, Which, you know, again, that was a massive criticism I heard at the time for La Haine. It was like, oh, you know, pretension. Da, da, da. I was like, it's difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's difficult because as distributors aren't uh, as excited about distributing black and white for a start. And audiences aren't necessarily more excited about black and white. I mean, I think we've established fuck distributors. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so <far>. definitely. <laughs> but, you know, you want to you trust that your audience yeah. will... will see the black and white and go yeah actually uh, i don't because i don't I, I i never understood that weird thing of how oh, black and white is the past now we have color mm. well no actually it means now you have options you have options to yeah. do color you have options to do black and white you have options to do both you have options to do black and white with red you have options to do black and white with green if you want you can do whatever the fuck you want do you know what though i'm not i'm not sure really that exists out in the world i don't i don't think audience members think that i think that's an excuse made by producers uh for by distribution companies i think you're right i think it's the exact same thing i i remember being in a talk with uh graham humphreys the poster artist given Mm -hmm. about it and you know the the decline in painted poster art and you know he was told by distributors um oh yeah no we're we're not doing that anymore we're doing the flowing heads because people if they see a painted poster they'll think it's an animated film i'm like I'm not sure that holds up to any sort of reality at all. I think that is an excuse for you, as you said earlier, to use the interns who you pay, you know, five pounds an hour or you you not pay at all to come up with something on Photoshop that takes a lunch break. Yeah. I think that's the excuse. So absolutely. Absolutely. No, but also for me, you know, for all my criticism of uh, of fandom and all this stuff, 
I I always bank on audience intelligence. So oh, there's there there is enough intelligence audience out there. Not not everybody, because yeah. you know, everybody watches movies and there are yeah, some fucking idiots out there. But I think there's enough intelligence audience out there to turn indie films profitable. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think I uh, yeah I think so, and you know you talk about painted posters. We again I did a, we did a painted poster for that one. You know, and Absolutely. it's like yeah, yeah because that's that's, that's represents the film in in a still image in a beautiful way, right. um, it and it makes you know it makes you want to know more. And then isn't that is the job it? of a poster? Yeah. Whereas you know the typical girls in the dirty ninety poster that we've all seen. Um, yeah. I feel like it isn't, it, isn't, it isn't the film. It isn't the film. It, that yes, firstly, it's not representative of the film. No. But also, as an audience member, I feel I've seen that film and I didn't yeah. like it. So, why yeah. would I watch another film like that? Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely shooting themselves. In no, the film. and I think, I think you know, I think there's, there's something to be said for taking your audience seriously and taking your film seriously and taking your work seriously and taking pride in your work and trying mm. to, to do everything as best as you can do it. And I think, you know, I'm glad you liked that trailer. I, you know, um, it was a it was a lot of work. It was hard work, you know, um, and he, everything was carefully thought out and crafted, and just to give the right impression of the film. Mm-hmm. And if you like the trailer, you're gonna love the film because that's, there is that's it, there man. is it's yeah. exactly what the film is gonna be like. 